0: Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxen Tanko will be here in just a moment with today's message. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888 244 HOPE. That's 888 244 4673. Well, due to the evolving situation with the pandemic, we currently cannot invite you to visit us in person at the worship service, but would like to invite you to a live stream from the church held each Saturday at 11 o'clock. You can go to reachinghearts.org video. That's reachinghearts.org video to watch that stream. And we'll let you know when that changes. Well, we are still in the Genesis series, and we are up to a message today entitled Babylon 2. That's Babylon 2. You can find this message online at reachingyourheart.com. Just look for the Genesis series, or you can find it also under the current broadcasts. Last week, we brought you the first portion of Babylon 2, and we will conclude that message here today. Thank you so much for listening, and here is Pastor Michael Tenko.
1: God's name means that God can be found because God finds you. God's name means that God is close and caring when you feel like He is far and unconcerned. God's name means that when you are lost and when you are down and when you are pounded by life's circumstances, when you feel alienated by God, that God has a way through the power of His name coming to you where you are at in life's highway and finding you before the tractor hits you and rolls you over and picks you up and He carries you on eagle's wings. God's name means God can find you, dear heart, in the lost places of life. It's a fact of faith that God feels far away, though, when you sin and fall. Have you ever made a big mistake in your life? You know, you knew God wanted you to do something, you didn't do it. And you ended up feeling like God was a mile, a hundred miles away from you, and you just couldn't connect with Him. I have. You ever felt that way? Okay, you can roll your heads up and down without censure. Because if you have walked with God, you've been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We have all failed God, so we have all struggled with this feeling at times. And since God's name means I am here, then I am here is more important when you have let God down than when things are going good. Is that not true? If God is not there when you need him to restore you as a sinner, then God's presence really is not good news. But God is there for you when you fail and fall. So Moses asked God to reveal his name to him. Now there's a context to that request. I mean, the golden calf story has just occurred in Exodus 32. Israel made all those promises in Exodus 24. All that you have said in those Ten Commandments, we will do. And within 40 days, they're dancing around a golden calf. They let God down severely. And so it looks like God's glory will break through and destroy them. At the bottom of their barrel, when they have failed God miserably... Moses asks God to reveal his name. And God says, I'll do it. Exodus 33, 19. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Now there it is, all capital letters again. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. It sounds like I am who I am. I will show mercy on whom I want to show mercy. I am who I am. You see, God is saying that the meaning of his name is most important when you have fallen and failed in your life. The meaning of his name is most relevant to you when you cannot pick yourself up because the fall has been severe for you. But here he says, I am who I am. It means I am merciful when I want to have mercy. Exodus 34, 5-7. to 7, God continued. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before Him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Slow to anger, gracious, merciful, forgiving, loving, God's name is rooted in God's character. God's name means he is there for you. So let's summarize very briefly. Soak in the meaning here. I am means I am here. I am here means I am merciful. I am merciful means I forgive you, not because of you, but because of me, because of my name. Now, is it good news that we know the name of the Lord, yes or no? That's good news, isn't it? And so we find that the name of the Lord is so important in our walk with God. When you fail and falter, you need his name. Now, when God created Adam and Eve, he revealed to them his name. He didn't leave it up for them to guess it, which meant that they were kin of God. They knew him as father and friend. But the serpent in Genesis 3.1 stepped in to stop all of that. He came to Eve at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil 12 times, this divine name Yahweh had been used with the word God, first name and last name. He came to the tree and in Genesis three one he said, Did God say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? He left out that name. He said, I don't care about that name. I don't want to even let it come on my lips. And so he referred to God as God. Eve then followed along with the idea. She bought into the words. And the divine name dropped out of her mind and out of her mouth. And she said, God said, you shall not eat or even touch anything. No Yahweh on the serpent's tongue. No Yahweh on Eve's tongue either. And when Adam and Eve forgot the divine name, they forgot God was close to them. They forgot God's presence. And when they lost God's presence, they lost God and obedience and all that follows. They sinned and they failed. It's a spiritual principle that you cannot overcome as a believer unless you call on the name of the Lord and you rely upon His presence for power in your life. Now, how many of you like to call on the name of the Lord today? Me too. I just want to call on His holy name right now for you. And ask that in your life that the close love of God, the personal love of God, would be revealed to you today. Adam had a son named Seth. Seth had a son named Enosh, which means mortal man. And the Bible is very clear in Genesis 4.26 that when Seth's son Enosh was born, which means weak or mortal man, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now we know in Genesis 6.4, in retrospect, that these People at the line of Seth who called on the name of the Lord stopped calling on the name of the Lord. They became known as sons of God rather than sons of Yahweh. They forgot the meaning of the divine name. But there's a little footnote in Genesis 6-4. It says, these used to be or were the mighty men that were of old. And then it says in the Hebrew, and Hashem, men of the name, not men of renown. They used to be known as men and women who called on the name of the Lord. But they stopped being mighty even though they were weak because they stopped calling on God's name. Noah was the last man on earth. He recognized the meaning of the divine name. He was the last man on earth who sought forgiveness and grace in God's name. Noah was a man who did not let go of this ancient truth, who kept a close relationship with God. And how do we know this really occurred? We know it because of the names that he gave to his sons. Genesis 6, 8, it says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And we know within that immediate context that he named his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham means heat. Japheth means he opens. But Shem literally means name. The name. The man who was the last person on earth who had a relationship with God that was sound was the person who named his son the name. Because the ancient faith must never die. The ancient faith must be reborn in a new generation. So he named his son after the divine name. Shem received the birthright and the blessing in Genesis 9.26. Now if you look at this name that we found in Genesis chapter 1-3... to 3, we find that the word Lord God is used as God's name in the Garden of Eden quite freely. But after Eden, it's not used until right here in Genesis 9, 26. It says, So Noah also said, Blessed by the Lord my God, Yahweh Elohim, Lord God, be Shem and let Canaan be his slave. The line of Shem means the line of the name. It's the line whereby the knowledge of God the Creator, the knowledge of the loving nature of God preserved in that tetragrammaton, Yahweh, the name, would be preserved, would come to us, would eventually bring Jesus Christ who is the name as the Savior of the world, as God in human flesh. So the struggle for this divine name is in fact the context and the setting for the story of the Tower of Babel. You really cannot with- understand what's happening in Genesis 11 unless you pay close attention to the development that brings you to the claim made by the Babel Tower builders in Genesis 11. Before we do that, I'd like to draw your attention to Genesis 10, verse 8. In Genesis 10:8, the city of Babel was built by the great hunter Nimrod. And Nimrod's name in Hebrew is derived from the word for rebellion. He founded the kingdom of Babel, which in fact is the first empire of rebellion since the flood. It says, Cush became the father of Nimrod. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, and Akkad, all of them in the land of Shinar. So Nimrod was the first king of Babylon 1. Take your Bibles now, turn to Genesis 11 verse 1. The Bible says, Now the whole earth had one language and few words, and men migrated from the east, and they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. Now notice the language of verse 4. It really contains the key points we will focus on. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now look at the very first part of verse 4. Verse 4. Do you see where it says, let us? You see that? Now, where have we seen that in the book of Genesis? Who has said that before in the book of Genesis? Genesis 1, 26. Isn't that what God said when he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness? These tower builders are doing more than building towers. They are playing God. They are using the language of creation, and they are the God in their minds and their story. Let us build means. We will do what God cannot do. We will create our own future and destiny. Now, there's a little bit of Babel in all of us if we're really honest about it. Have you ever said that yourself? I'm in charge of my life. I know where I'm going. I'm the one who maps out my own course. I speak my future into existence. You ever said that? You've got to be careful with that. You can't do one thing without God's leading your life. You can't move one step forward unless God is the one who leads you or it's nothing but a tower that comes down in the end. There's a little bit of Babel in all of us. The Babel builders had three specific goals in mind in Babylon 1 in the creation of that tower city scenario. Goal number one, the text says they set out to build a city. Now in the book of Genesis, Cain was the first man to build a city. He named it after his son Enoch, which means inauguration. So he dedicated it to his son. So like Cain, the Babel builders here don't build a city for God. They build a city for themselves. They build it for their own name, their own future, their own greatness. So goal number one represents goals without guidance. It represents plans without spiritual purpose. It represents a future that you map out without God being the reason for that future. What a contrast to Abraham. Hebrews 11.8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he was to receive. Verse 10, For he looked forward to the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Direct difference between the faith of Abraham and what we find here at the Tower of Babel. Goal number two, they set out to erect a tower that would reach into the heavens. Now most scholars agree that this tower was what they call a Ziggurat. The word ziggurat comes from the word zahar, which means to remember. It was a place where people would remember you by. Long after you were gone, they'd look at what you did. And they'd say, hi, ah, isn't this impressive? Look what he left behind. A ziggurat was a step mound that was made to look like a mountain. It was constructed in stages. They had an altar on the top. In the ziggurats that were discovered in ancient Babylon, we find six degree components in the construction of this tower. At the altar on the top, they hoped to meet God. They would sacrifice right up there at that shrine, on the top of that step mount. And they believed that the gods would meet them high up on the top of the mountain that they had built. The message was loud and clear with the tower. The only way to get to the gods is to climb to heaven yourself on the ladder that you have built, and you will find God when you go up. Goal number two represents salvation by works It represents human effort to find God on your own bootstraps. A tower means God is far, and you have to climb up to be forgiven and find Him. The fact is, many Christians today have a tower religion in their relationship with God. They believe, oh, if I just do this a little better, if I just overcome this sin a little better, then God will accept me. Then I'll be brought into His presence. Then I'll be okay. What they don't realize is that you have to start with acceptance. God has to find you before you find Him. That you have to surrender to the fact that He's the hound of heaven and you can't find heaven without Him. Radically different view. Now in Exodus 20, 24 to 26, we know, according to the law of Moses, that it was forbidden for any Jew to build an altar with a ladder so that they would have to climb up to that altar. It was absolutely forbidden. Verse 26 You shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Dear heart, if you're trying to climb up to God, if you're trying to somehow get to God by what you have done and what you're doing, then as far as God is concerned, you are naked before Him. You must stand on level ground. And it says in verse 24 that if you build an altar of earth, and that altar is on the ground with no ladder or step-mound, you will call on God's name. He says, I will come to you and I will bless you. God comes to us on level ground. God comes to us in life when we cannot find Him. God comes to us when we cannot dig into the sinew of our soul and build a ladder to find Him. He comes to us when we simply call on His name. Goal number three, the Babel builders set out to make for themselves a name. The word name in Hebrew is literally Shem. Now, we've seen that. It's the name that was given to that first son of Noah, Shem. They wanted to make for themselves a Shem, a name. Forget God's name. Forget Shem's birthright and blessing. Forget the line of the name. Forget that the Messiah is coming through the line of Shem. We'll do it ourselves. We will make for ourselves a name. Well,
0: hang in there. We will get underway again here in just a moment with Pastor Michael Tanko. As I reminded you at the beginning of our program today, our live services where you can attend in person are currently on hold due to the current situation. But that could change soon, so stay tuned here for news on that. In the meantime, we are streaming a live service from the church that you can watch online at reachinghearts.org video. That's reachinghearts.org video. If you have any questions about today's message, you can visit reachingyourheart.com. A copy of this message is available there in case you missed any part of it. As well as reachingyourheart.com lets you know about other things that are happening with this radio broadcast. Let's continue now with Babylon 2. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Here once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko.
1: Goal number three represents religion without God's presence and power. It represents a rejection of Jesus Christ. Now I'd like to share with you a promise in Isaiah thirty twenty seven which I think is kind of neat. It says, Behold, the name of the Lord comes from far. How do you like that? God's name comes from far. It doesn't matter how far you are away from God. God's name comes to you when you call on Him. He is close and can be found. In summary, Babylon 1 was defined by a city, a tower, and a name. At the end of time, there will be a Babylon 2. Babylon 2 will be an attempt to resurrect the ideas of Babylon 1 and make them stick just before Jesus Christ returns. I want to briefly refer to this in the book of Revelation. So goal number one for end time Babylon 2 is this. They will try to unify the earth under a false religious system which will be comprised of Christians and other world religions that is based on salvation by works and it will be a direct attack on God's law and God's name. Revelation 17.3 He carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. And she's here pictured being dressed with the attire of the high priest. She's pictured here riding a beast which symbolizes a great world kingdom. She's pictured being at odds with God. She has in her hands the symbol of her fornication, the unnatural union of church and state, which is forbidden by Holy Scripture. And on her forehead is written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of abominations. You'll notice that she does not have God's name on her forehead. She has her own name on her forehead, which means she has made herself out to be God. The reason she is a harlot, she represents a Christianity that has gone wrong. In the book of Revelation, God's church is a bride. In the book of Revelation, a fallen church that used to be faithful to God is a harlot. In verse 17, it tells us where she resides. And the woman that you saw is the great city which has dominion over the kings of the earth. So her center is a geographical point in the world, a single city of influence. Goal number two, like Babylon 1, Babylon 2 will build a tower that will reach into the heavens. Verse 5 of Revelation 18, For her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her. Her iniquities. That tower will be built by end time Babylon. What failed in Babylon 1 will not fail in Babylon 2. They will complete the sin of the history of the world and they will reach right up into God's face to say that we defy you. Goal number three like Babylon 1, Babylon 2 will make for themselves a name. Look at verse 5 of Revelation 17. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery. Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and of earth's abominations. Now if you take your bibles out and turn to Deuteronomy 6:8, you will notice that God told the Jewish people to take the name Yahweh and to put it right on their foreheads and to take the law of God, which is his sacred law, and to write it on the frontlets of their eyes. And when you go to Revelation 14:1, the Father's name goes right there where the law goes. You see, if you have the Father's name on your forehead, you also have God's law on your forehead. The new covenant, according to Hebrews 8, is to take the law of God and to write it on your heart and your mind through the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. But in time Babylon has a different name, a different law, and it puts it in the wrong place. Revelation 13, 16, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave to be marked on the right hand of their forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let him who has understanding reckon the number of the beast, for it is a human number. It's not God's name. It's a human number. Its number is 666. In the mark of the beast, there will be an attempt to remove God's presence from your life by a universal decree that attempts to change the law of God and thus put someone else's name on your forehead. We know what that is in chapter 13. The first commandment says, You shall have no other gods before me. It means worship God. They worship the beast. The second commandment says you shall not make unto thee any graven images, any likeness of anything in heaven above or earth beneath. They build an image to the beast. The third commandment says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. They have the name and number of the beast. And the fourth commandment says remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you work and do all your labor, but the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In Ezekiel 20.12 it says I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign. So the fourth commandment is God's sign. We have the mark of the beast, which is an attack upon the fourth commandment. So in the mark of the beast issue, we have God's name at risk and God's law at risk. In verse 18, the Bible says that the mark of the beast is a human name and number. Instead of calling on the name of the Lord, the worshipers of the beast at the end will call on a man, a great world leader, to lead them instead of the Lord. In time Babylon will follow a man who has taken his place inside the church, who has established a kingdom in a great world city as the leader of the church instead of Jesus Christ. And the mark of the beast and the deception of end time Babylon is in fact the battle over God's name, God's law, God's presence in your life. God's name means I am here. God's law means God is in your heart if you have the Holy Spirit. So we find the issues are very clear and defined. The worshipers of the beast have no rest because they have exchanged the name of God for the name of the beast. How many of you want Jesus Christ in your heart today? I do. When you call on the name of the Lord, you're asking for Christ to come within you. But when you call on the name of the Lord, you're asking for God's law to be written on your foreheads. And when you call on the name of the Lord, even though you are weak, you can be strong. Victory in the book of Revelation comes in God's name, not the beast's name or the harlot's name. Look at Revelation 3, verse 12 with me today. The Bible says, He who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. So if you want to stand at the end, God has to write his name and the name of the new Jerusalem on your forehead. Now we know what his name means. It means I am here. What is the name of the new Jerusalem? Turn to Ezekiel 48, 35. We have a revelation as to what that name is. And the name of the city henceforth shall be the Lord is there. Dear heart, what the Bible is saying is abundantly clear. You cannot survive in the times in which we live without the presence of God in your life. You cannot have the presence of God unless you call on His name like they did in ancient times. And when you call on His name, you're not calling on some kind of magical formula. You're calling on Jesus Christ to be with you. And with all the power of divinity that resides in Him, dear heart, He will come to you. He will find you. He will forgive you. He will hold you high. And at the end of time when the world melts beneath your feet and there is no future and there is no hope for this planet other than that which resides in God, He will carry you to glory because, dear heart, you have learned to call on the name of the Lord.
0: Well, that will conclude Babylon 2. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Tanko. Don't forget, a copy of this message can be downloaded from reachingyourheart.com, where you can listen there live in streaming format. We would love for you to attend the worship service, which at this time is being streamed live on the Internet at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video every Saturday morning. We invite you to go there now. And as always, we want you to know that we do pray that God is reaching your heart.